attacks. We know that he is going to attack. God has provided us the armament and he's provided us the weapon, right? But here's what I want to ask you today. I want to look at today is how do you know when Satan, when it, when it is Satan who's attacking? How do you know it's him? I will say this. I do believe that Satan gets a lot of blame that he shouldn't. People say, well, we're just really going through it. Well, maybe you just made a really bad decision. <laughs> and it wasn't Satan, right? Maybe uh, maybe you just ran the credit card up once too many when you knew you shouldn't have. And now you're saying, boy, I tell you what, Satan is just really on me this week. No, sometimes it's not him. We have a thing called the world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes it's just the flesh. And we just do some really bad things. But listen, but Satan, but he does attack. He absolutely, absolutely does. And in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, the Bible says, Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Think about that. We, the children of God, are not ignorant of his devices. Tells you two things. Number one, we can say that, well, I don't know, sometimes I am ignorant of his devices, right? But the truth of the matter is, if we just got a little bit into the Word of God, we wouldn't be ignorant of his devices. Why? Because he hasn't changed. The ta- watch, the tactics of Satan haven't changed in 6,000 years. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not such, I mean, he's smarter than we are, that's for sure. But he doesn't have, he doesn't have access to an, in, to an infinite amount of possibilities uh, to go after us. They're, they're pretty much all about the same. And they pretty much all fall within the same three categories as, as, as we saw that fell on, upon Jesus. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He doesn't change from those. And, and part of today's that we're looking at really, um, really kind of affects the third one, the pride of life. The pride of life. What is the pride of life? Remember he said, if you, you cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and, and uh, you know, for it's written, he shall keep his angels charge over thee, lest thou cast, dash thy foot upon a stone, right? It, what is that? It's the preservation of life. It's a self-centered, the, the pride of life. It is that, it's just life's pride. It's my desire, my drive, my, my yearning to, for self-preservation and, and self-centeredness of what I need and what I want. And Satan attacks that. He attacks that in our life. And I want to look at that this morning where he does that. One of the devices that Satan uses to go against us that we need to always be ready for is the device, the attack of discouragement. Discouragement. Right. How many live in discouragement? Let me say this. How many have lived in places, in times of your life of discouragement? You had plans, you had aspirations, you had goals, <clears throat> you had things where you thought they were going, uh, and and uh, discouragement sets in. Some of the greatest occasions for discouragement comes after the greatest victories. You know, at Death Valley, just before you get into Death Valley is the mountain range there. I wish I had written this down. It just came to my mind. I forget the name of that mountain peak, but it is actually one of the highest peaks uh, in California. So you come from one of the highest peaks down to one of the lowest elevations, 280-some feet below sea level where Death Valley is. And so you're going from, I mean, in one swoop, from the highest to the lowest part in the, in the United States in one failed swoop. That happens so often in our life. I'm telling you, we're at mountaintops. 
Yeah, you know, end of revival, the end, end of the outdoor revival. And boy, God does wonderful things. I'm telling you, discouragement will show up. Satan will show up. He'll throw something out there to get you. He does it every time. And this is one of Satan's strategies. Like an army, right? Satan, Satan has strategy. And if we are going to fight, you've got to know where it's coming from sometimes. It helps you. It really does. You, you know, professional sports teams, like football teams, they will study the, the reels of the teams that they're going to play. <clears throat> They'll study all of their games. If you're a quarterback, you'll watch you'll watch what their defensive line does. You'll you'll watch what uh, how they sack. You'll watch how they like to this one player, which one of the star player, what he does, whether he comes up the middle or around the corner or whatever he does. I'm telling you, they study and they study and they study. They study the enemy, right? They study what he's going to do. <clears throat> Back when boxing was popular, it's not as popular anymore, right? Because now we have. Uh, mixed martial arts, and that's much more gory, and that's way makes way more money. So, uh, but but the boxing, the old boxing boy, they'd watch the reels of their opponent. They'd take a year, or six months, I guess, I don't know how long, to get ready for for a, especially if it was a title bout. They'd get ready, and they'd watch, and they'd study, and they'd see what they would do all the time. So I want to spend the next few weeks, Lord willing, studying the devices of our enemy. So here we go. We're gonna we're gonna roll tape, I guess. We're going to study some tape and look at what they do. And today, the first thing off I want to look at today is discouragement and what our battle plan should look like. So, 1 Kings, I don't know why I said Samuel, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. We have a great picture. Most of you are aware of this. You, you are familiar with this passage. But we have a great picture of discouragement, discouragement, what it really is, what it looks like, What's going on in the life when discouragement comes in? And then, hopefully, if we have time here, I'll just wrap it up with a remedy, a remedy for discouragement. All right? And we know what the remedy basically is, right? It's the Word of God. Yeah. But I want to show you what God does. It's God's Word. It's God who's going to tell Elijah what to do, and it's really kind of fascinating. But so here, let me give you a little background. Ahab and Jezebel, they're running Israel, right? They are running Israel. They are a sorry uh, a couple, Ahab is a Jew. He knows the law. He knows the word of God. I mean, there's even a couple a time there where Ahab had come to a place of real repentance and God uh, uh, came uh, back on some judgment that was coming to him and he said, I'll bring it at another time. But his wife, his wife Jezebel was an absolute pagan. He should have never married her. It was forbidden of God for him to marry uh, a strange uh, wife like this she is. Uh, and uh, so, but they are an awful, awful sword. Definitely, definitely Jezebel turned the head of Ahab. And uh, what an awful thing it was. And back in chapter 17, God had told Elijah that there was not going to be any dew or rain for three and a half years. And this was God's judgment upon Israel because of their leadership, because of Ahab who knew better. And in the third year of the drought, though, God tells Elijah to go and find, go and find King Ahab and Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, were, as I said, probably one of the sorriest couple, sorriest duos there really were. Reminds me kind of another duo we had a few years back, uh, husband and wife, president, and whatever she was. But anyway, you can kind of know where that's going. <clears throat> and, uh, and a lot of their opponents, you're going to see here, Elijah is going to have the same outcome as some of our 
famous presidents opposition had their outcome too. You know, it is it is it is fascinating how somebody can uh, can commit suicide by shooting themselves twice in the back of the head. It's an incredible thing how that happens. But anyway, you probably know who I'm talking about. Elijah here is going. He's going to go find uh, what he is doing. He's going to find Ahab to to speak to him, and he finds the priest Obadiah. Uh, because Obadiah and Ahab are out looking for water. The drought has set in for three years. They're trying to find some water. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Elijah tells Obadiah, go get Ahab. I need to meet with him. And Ahab's nervous. He's like, uh-uh, man. And if you don't meet with him, I'm a dead man. And, and Elijah says, no, I'm going to meet with him. Go find him. Tell him I want to meet with him. And in, cha- in verse 17 of chapter 17 Elijah finds Ahab listen to what he says here look at this look at this introduction and it came to pass um no I'm in chapter 18 I'm sorry and it was and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him art thou he that troubleth Israel and he answered I have not troubled Israel but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and thou hast followed Balaam. So what a greeting that is. Ahab sees uh, Elijah goes, oh, so you're the one who's causing this. You're the one who's messed us up. You're the one who brought the death. Isn't it amazing, though, that, that Ahab still knew that Elijah was responsible for the drought and Elijah was a man of God, right? Yet he still, But he still wouldn't come in line. And uh, uh, Elijah just uh, yapped right back at him uh, with, with the truth of the matter. No, you're the one who's troubling Israel. You're the one who is causing this doubt. Let me tell you this this morning. This would be a good place to interject this in our lesson today. Your lack of love and obedience to God has, has, an, effect, has an effect far beyond yourself. It affects your home. It affects your church. It affects where you work. I'm telling you, you're, if, if you're under the judgment of God and God, God is chastening his own, listen, you can bring it into your company and your business can do poorly because you're under the chastening of God. Drought can come where you work because you're under the chastening of God. It doesn't just affect you and me. It affects everybody around us. And Elijah is telling Ahab, listen, buddy, the drought is your fault. You, have, you are, you are uh, supposed to be a throne of righteousness. You are following Balaam. You are walking away from God. You have brought this into Israel, and all of Israel is suffering because of you. And so he really laid it down, man. He just laid it out, right? Uh, like one said, uh, Oliver B. Green, if you remember him on the radio, somebody said of Oliver, boy, he knew how to, he knew how to open the wound and just pour the salt on it, you know? <laughs> He could, he could really do a number, and this is what Elijah's doing here. And look at verse twenty-one. So, uh, so he, uh, Elijah has a plan. Well, you know what's going to happen here. Elijah came unto the people and said, "The, the people that uh, Ahab sent out." Uh, he, let me back up. Let me back up. Look at, look at verse nineteen. Elijah says, "Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred." which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto the people, unto all the people, and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And look at verse 22. Then Elijah said unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, 
but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now I want you to catch something that Elijah says right here that's going to come up later when Satan attacks him. Notice what he said. He said, I, even I only, remain a prophet, remain a prophet of the Lord. He is isolating himself. He's believing that he's the only one left. This is a dangerous place to be in. Listen, you're not the only one serving God. And if you were honest about it, you could, we could find a multitude of people that actually have probably a better heart than you do and I do and are more serious and more intentional about the relationship the Lord with than you and I are. I remember Dr. Vogelin up at, up at Fairhaven Baptist Church would say, never look down on somebody that has higher standards than you do, that has a closer walk to, to God than you do. Never look, because that's what we tend to do to justify ourselves. We tend to look down on them or call them a Pharisee. Well, you're really the Pharisee for calling them the Pharisee, actually. And so anyway, listen, Elijah is isolating himself here by saying, I'm the only one left. No, you're not. No, I'm not. No, you're not, right? You're, we're, we're really not. There are many, many, many out there. Uh, the Lord has a remnant. God has a remnant. And we're going to see this later that God is going to correct this in Elijah's thinking. So he tells everybody to get up there. Uh, and uh, he says this, and he, got, he has them all getting together, and here's the plan, right? If God's God, follow him. He's telling Israel, not the prophets of Baal. He's telling Israel, listen, if God is God, follow him. If Baal's God, then follow him. So let's figure out which one's God to help you out. Aren't you glad? You know, the Bible says the Jews seek after a sign and Greeks after wisdom. And God, and, and we, we, uh, the children of God, uh, you know, we have the word of God. We follow and we believe uh, the very word of God. And, and uh, the Jews needed a sign and God always gave them signs. And here's one he's going to give them today. Not today, but here with Elijah. And uh, Elijah says, you know how it goes. Everybody knows the story, right? You, you get build an altar. You get the, the wood, get the fire, and uh, get, your, get your sacrifice. And you call out to God. And the God that answers by fire, that's, the, that's God. That's God. Now watch this. They are both, Elijah's personally, or the prophets of Baal, let's start with them because they start first. The prophets of Baal are calling out, they are personally calling out to who they believe their God is. All of them. I mean, in, in Elijah, I love this. It's, it's, uh, I love the, the comedy in this. Because here they are, they're crying out, they're calling out. And Elijah's sitting there kind of mocking him and going, well, maybe your God's on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's just caught up in something else and he can't hear you. So then they're screaming and yelling. And it goes on all day long until the evening sacrifice. Right? It's so bad. Watch, they're cutting themselves and the, trying to get God, their God's attention, saying the blood is pouring out of them. So think about that. There, there's blood on their altar. It's the wrong blood. But there's blood all over that altar, and there's a sacrifice there. And it's, it's, it hasn't rained in three years. It's drier and cracker juice. I mean, they could have just done a spark and got the thing going. It wouldn't have been hard to get it going. But it didn't happen. At the time of the evening sacrifice, you know what happens. Elijah comes says, okay, you're done. My turn. <laughs> they found some water somewhere. That's pretty incredible. They're, they're by the spring. There's a little bit of water left when God, when they were told to go to, my, to Carmel. And uh, you know what happens. The water on the altar, three, three barrels of water on the altar, fills up the little moat he built. I mean, it's soaking wet. Boosh, here it comes. I mean, Elijah began to pray. 
Pray to the God of heaven. I love this. And, and let's look at the prayer. I, li- I like this. And uh, all the way down into, let's, let's find where this is. Uh, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Could you get more specific than who he's calling unto? Right? You know what, if he didn't have a relationship with God, you might want to be a broader just to make sure you got, maybe you get the attention of whoever the God really is. Maybe you don't know, you know, you, you follow me? If you were more general, maybe you could catch the ear of any God who actually exists. No, he is being focused. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael, Jehovah God. He's saying the only true God, creator of all that is. And that's who we call upon today, isn't it? Amen. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us access to him, free access as a child to our heavenly father. And we call upon him and him alone. And, uh, and no, we, we don't call on saints and we don't call on Mary and we don't call upon those that have dead and gone on. We have full access right to the throne of God. And Elijah said, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. And that I am thy servant. So there's there's a couple things he's wanting to he's wanting to prove his, his authority. He's he's wanting God to prove himself. He's wanting God to prove his servant and the authority of his servant, right? And that I have done all these things at thy word. And that he is coming not of his own will, of, of his own desire, and trying to build his own ministry. He is coming because God told him to. Right? God did this to Moses too, didn't he? He did it to Joshua. He 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 uh he made it known in front of the people that God, God made it known uh, that this is my man and this is my authority that is on them and you need to follow them. And this is what he prayed. He said, Hear, O Lord, verse 37, Hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed and burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the waters that was in the trench. Now hold on a minute. This, what happened here was not to prove God to the prophets of Baal. It was to prove to Israel, whose heart had turned away from God, to help them be reassured and believe once again that the God of Israel is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah God. This wasn't for the prophets of Baal. But there is a residual effect of watching God work. Listen to me. When God works in our midst, there is a residual effect around us to the lost world that sees our God. That's why it's so important to walk with God. That's why it's so important to have the power of God on your life. That's why it's so important to have be in the will of God and in the obedience to God because the lost world begins to watch God work in your life. They see it. They go, what is with you? <laughs> right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal and let not one of them, uh, and, and uh, not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. The drought is over. The plague has been stayed. The 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 people that were a that, that were um, uh, the, the two enemies of Israel at that time, their unbelief and these prophets of Baal have been taken care of and have been wiped out. And he said, the rain's coming, get back home. 
You can go home now. It's all over, right? So Elijah, so Ahab runs home. He goes home. And it was a great victory here in the day of Elijah. It was a great victory. And what a display of God's power. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? I mean, that big bolt of whatever. That, I mean, I remember a buddy of mine, and I told you about this a while back. We are trying to gas, trying to get a gas grill going, right? And I'm pushing on that thing, and I'm pushing and pushing. He couldn't get it. Well, you know, you know, control freak me, you know. He couldn't get it figured out. I'm like, oh, I'll get it. I'll get it. You know, the lid's down, right? The lid's down. I'm pushing, pushing. Boom. Like, I mean, this flash, and it was like, man, it was awesome. All I could hear this voice in the background go, whoa, like that. And uh, out comes his mother. What are you doofuses doing, you know? All of this. It was, it was, it was colossal. It was awesome. I mean, just boom. I mean, I just could imagine the moment that Elijah got done and just boom, it all was just, said it licked up the water, it licked up the rocks, it licked up the sacrifice. I mean, there's nothing left. I mean, they're just looking there at a black hole in the ground, you know? I mean, that would have, I would have loved it. That's great victory. That's great victory. Yeah. Hey, it may not have looked like this, but listen, any victory of God is the same victory. It's all from Him. It doesn't have to be sensational to be great victory. It doesn't have to be the sensational for it to be of God. Yeah. I, I know what they're saying over there on Highway 65. Right. You know, I, I know I know about all the miracles and all the sensational and all of the toes growing back and all of this stuff. I, I get it. But God is still God when He doesn't respond and show Himself like that. And I dare say a lot of it is not Him. 98% of it is not Him. We saw it this week. Watch this. You know what I love? So many times when God shows up and victory comes, it's easily missed. It's easily overlooked. Yeah. We talked about it all week, didn't we? The weather. Oh, love it. Love it. We've been praying and praying and praying and praying for weather. You know what somebody told me? Who, who has an outdoor revival in August? Who does that? Well, we I, weirdos do it, I guess. Yeah. And hadn't, hadn't prayed years before about the weather. We just thought we'd endure. I mean, hey, we're tough, man. Yeah. You know, Brother Weedo said, I can't, I can't preach in this. I said, well, we're going to have to pray. We'll have, it, we'll have somebody to replace you if need be, but we're, we'll go on. I tell you what. I mean, Saturday we came to put the tent up and it poured, poured, and poured. We had a great time of fellowship there at McDonald's for a couple hours, drink coffee. That was lovely. Came out to put the tent up and it was cool. I mean, every year we put the tent up. It's hot, man. It's hot. About to die. And it was cool. And, man, that we, you, you were there. What a beautiful week God gave us. 100 degrees before, right back up to about 90 yesterday, 100 today. Next to the rest of the week. I mean, we just got a little space that God gave us. It was undeniable. And I'm telling you, it's great victory. It's great victory. Some of you all got some victory in your heart. Some of you all got some victory in your life in certain places. Some of you, God's still working on you and you're on your way there. But it wasn't, if it wasn't for the preaching of the Word of God, it wouldn't have been stirred up again. And you're looking, you're just staring victory down and it's close for you. It is so close. This is where Elijah is. He is in a place of victory. And so Ahab goes home and in verse 45, he goes back to Jezreel and he tells Jezebel all about what happened. I wonder how he showed up. I, I mean, I think he was, I, I, I mean, 
Ahab knew the Word of God. He was a Jew. He knew when he was disobedient to the Word of God. And I don't know, maybe, I, I'm totally reading into this, I don't know, but if maybe possibly Ahab started to get a little bit of victory in his own life when he saw God show up in a mighty way. And he knew, this is my God. He knew that. And he got home and maybe, maybe he just walked in the house and said, Jezebel, you should have seen it. Oh my goodness. It was awesome. I mean, you're, these these guys, prophets, all of them, I mean, they're there and he goes through the whole thing. And, and then Elijah comes and she tell, he tells her everything that Elijah did. And he prayed to the God of Abraham. And the, the bolt of lightning came down, the fire came down. and Oh, it was awesome. You should have seen it. It was awesome. So where are my prophets of Baal? Oh, they're dead. <laughs> How'd that happen? Well, you know, Elijah hacked their head off. Down in the valley there. Yeah, they're, they're gone. All of them? Yeah, all of them. This is going downhill now. Great victory. We're at the top of the mountain here. We're getting ready to get down to the Death Valley. Literally. Yeah. And so, she says, essentially, Elijah's a dead man. Look at chapter 19, verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Well, the gods aren't going to do anything to Jezebel, but God is. Her day's coming, all right? And so uh, Elijah's a dead man, so he runs away. He runs away in verse 3 and 4. Look at this. Great victory. I mean, un... You, 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 there is no way to mistake the hand of God in what happened. And you've had it in your life, and you've had it just recently. Things that God has done in you and for you and through you that are unmistakable. It was the hand of God, and you knew it. Be ready. Here comes the valley. Verse 3, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongeth unto Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. This is one of the most down times of Elijah's life. I mean, this guy was a guy of miracles, man. And he's in, the, he's in the pit. He's in Death Valley right now. Lester Olaf said, I got enough flesh left in me at 67 years old. I wish that Elijah would have turned around and grabbed her by the heels and popped her head off. <laughs> but he didn't. He ran from fear. He ran away. Yeah. Discouragement and despair... <coughs> Settled into Elijah's life. Mountaintop. Valley. Right. But remember what I told you, remember what I told you when we were going through the Beatitudes, when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Right. That it's the work, listen, the work, the work is not done on the mountaintops. God does his work in the valleys. It's in the, it's in the valleys where flowers grow. 
It's in the valleys where the grasses grow. It's in the valleys where the waters are and the streams are. No, the mountaintops are exhilarating. They're, they, they are encouraging. They, they give new life. You, get to, you ever go mountain climbing, you get to the top there, if you still have any breath left in you, I mean, it's like, wow, this is incredible. We did a hike up uh, Devil's Head, whatever, in Colorado, and uh, about died on the way up there. Man, that seven, 8,000 feet, I don't like that stuff. But boy, some of the areas when I was on the on the trail there and there was a clearing and I'm going <gasps> like that. I mean, it was just beautiful view. I mean, it was incredible while I was dying. And uh, I thought I should have brought an inhaler. But uh, no, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah. But not many people live that that high up. It's hard. If you do, it's difficult. Because why? If you need anything, you got to go back to the valley and get it. Watch this. God's going to do a work in Elijah's life while he's in the valley. Not on the mountaintop. Yeah. You know what the mountaintop does for us? It helps us to look back and be reminded of the power and the greatness and the, and the love of God to get us through the valley and what he's trying to do for us in the valley. Yeah. And so here he is. He's, he's in a place of despair. He's running from a problem. He, he wants to die and he says that he is no better, he's no better than his fathers. Wow. Yeah. And so, look at this here, and uh, I'm trying to find it, I'm sorry. He slept under the tree, verse 7, the angel of the Lord came. Oh, and... Uh, And he came thither into the cave and lodged there. I'm sorry, verse 9. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Right? So he went up here to the mountain. And uh, God asked him what he's doing here. And he says, verse 10, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, which is true. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What is he doing? Here it is again. I'm the only one left. He has said this before. If you look back up in verse 4, he said this now in, in his despair. Listen to this discouragement. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the juniper tree. I just read this. Listen to what he says again. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my fathers. Some of you who did not grow up in Christian homes, you come through valleys in your Christian life. You come through disappointments. You come through uh, places of, of just discouragement at your own failures. And it's easy to walk past through your life, through your mind and say, well, maybe I am no better than my father. Maybe I am no better than my mother. Maybe I am no better than my grandfather. Oh, that's a place of discouragement. It is absolutely a place of discouragement. This is where Elijah is. Why did he say this? Well, his, nobody in his family was a prophet. He was. Right? He was. He was the tribe of Naphtali. He was just a Tishbite. That's all he was. And uh, it, eventually the, the land of, the, uh, of, of Naphtali was just overrun by a bunch of Canaanites and paganism. I mean, they didn't do anything great for God. And here Elijah's like, well, I guess I'm no better than any of my fathers. Yeah. And this is where he is. The fire of, from the fire of God on Mount Carmel down into Death Valley. And just thinking, I'm the only one left. 
just kill me. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. They are statements of discouragement. Discouragement. Can I tell you lovingly, discouragement's a sin. It really is. Because it's denying, and I know it's a tool of Satan. That's why God has given us armor. And that's why he's given us a sword to fight. And discouragement is a battle tactic of Satan that we must fight. Because it's sin. Yeah. Do you th- uh, yeah, I, I better not get out ahead of my skis here. <laughs> so he's running from a problem. What is that? Well, that's fear. That's fear. He's running from a problem. He wishes to die. And he says, I'm unable now. I am unable to live any better than my ancestors. Yeah. So he's laying there under this juniper tree. And he begins to just want to go to sleep. Another sign of depression. No energy. No desire to get out of bed. No desire to face the day. Right? Drag yourself up. And I'm like, oh, hum, here we go again. We'll just do this again. Yeah. I love this about the Lord, that He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. Look at verse 5. And He lay and slept under a juniper tree. Behold, and the angel touched Him and said unto Him, Arise and eat. And He took, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at His head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. How many in kindergarten remember nap time? And uh, after nap time, snack time. And, and when I was in kindergarten or for whenever it was, somebody, some, some uh, total teacher's pet got to uh, get the little, little wand and go around and tap everybody and wake them up when nap time was over. And, I, oh, I always coveted that job. I never got it, but uh, somebody else always did. And But they'd come and be like, time to get up. Probably because I'd been like, get up, right? And uh, anyway, but they'd tap you. And, I mean, look at the angel comes and wakes him up. Get up, Elijah. Get up. I don't know how he said it, right? But uh, our God is tender. He is a tender and a compassionate God who loves you. And He knows. He, he, the Bible, we know that Jesus has, uh, has, has um, that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we yet without sin. We know that God understands and He knows uh, where, where we are and He knows our frame. The psalmist said that we are but dust. He knows that. And here He sends an angel not only to allow, it, watch, to, allow him to sleep, that every so often kind of wake them up and give them a little something to eat. Right? Does it twice, eats twice. And, uh, and God tells them here that now I want you to go. He came to a cave after that lodge there. And it says he went on the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. Wouldn't it be good if your food lasted for... I th- you know, eating sometimes is such a pain. You've got to stop what you're doing and go eat. Right? Because you're hungry, Right? And it'd be nice if you could eat like like a snake, like once every two months. You know, just we would look funny. I mean, you'd be like, oh, you just ate, but <laughs> but uh, and he goes on for forty days, comes into the cave. God comes and he speaks to him there, and he tells him to go to Horeb, 
Go to the mountain of God. What is horrible? This is where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. It's Mount Sinai. And He gave him the commandments. It takes a 200-mile journey. 200 miles from Beersheba to Horeb. And He comes into that cave. Yeah. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> it's like, I thought you wanted me here. No, why is it that I want you here? What's going on? Can I tell you something? There's no shrink better than God. They'll lay you on the couch. They'll go, okay, what's going on? Tell me about it. How you, you know, how does that make you feel? Yeah, go with that. Go with that. You know. No. There's no better, there's no better shrink than our God. Elijah, why are you here? Has God ever done that to you? What why are you here? You're in discouragement, despair. Why, why? Why are you discouraged? Why are you in despair? Why are you upset? Why are you frustrated? Why are you angry? Why are you mad? Why? Well, because of this, this, this. I love it that we can give God our heart. He's never, he is, he is, he is never, uh, he is, he is never insecure about us telling us, uh, telling Him exactly all of our heart. He already knows it anyway. Can I tell? I've say I've said it ever since I've been pastor here. I've said it before I've ever been pastor here. If you just be honest with God, He could help you. Yeah. Be honest with Him, and then as Elijah's going to do, listen. Yeah. He's in the throes of discouragement. I've been je- very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. He says, I'm doing right. He said, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else doing right but me, and they seek to take my life away. What is he saying? Now, I'm paying for doing right. You ever been there? <laughs> paying for doing right. That's what he thought he was. Everyone's doing wrong, he says. What's that? What's he saying? They're living their life without consequences. You look out at the world, it seems that way at times. You look at some Christians, uh, you know, it seems that way at times. They're living their life without consequences. He said, I've been doing right. What's he saying? I'm doing what's right with no benefit. Why, why would he think there's no benefit? Well, he's running from Jezebel. He's running from his life. There's no benefit. I'm doing right and there's no benefit. And now I'm going to die for doing right while these are doing wrong. Uh, continue to live. What, what has crept into his life through this discouragement? It's fear. He's afraid. And now he's discouraged. And this is what discouragement sounds like. Hey, it is a tactic of Satan. It's what he uses. I'm doing right, everyone's doing wrong, and I'm going to pay for doing right. Yeah. You ever looked out at the prosperity of the wicked? And say, Lord? <laughs> no, we're not talking about you know, hidden things that nobody knows about. They are, they are outright in front of everybody, living a life. They claim to be in Christ. They've had a testimony of it, and they're just living a life that is contrary to you, walking away from you, and it's like just everywhere they turn turns to gold. And we're over here cranking out peanut butter trying to just stay alive, doing right. You get discouraged, won't you? Lord, I haven't stopped giving. I haven't stopped, <laughs> you know... Uh, being faithful to, to the house of God and to the word of God and to prayer. I haven't stopped. I haven't, these people have stopped everything and they're just, they're just living it up. It's getting better and better, it seems like. It's Satan. Yeah. Why? Because it's not true. Yeah. So, some men's sins are dealt with 
beforehand, the Bible says, and some men's sins go to them to the judgment. You say, boy, it doesn't seem like they're going to get, a, yeah, the, will not the judge of all the earth do right? He's in, in discouragement. Yeah. There's another guy that was kind of, oh man, I got to go. There's another guy who was really, in this, could have been in the same predicament as of Elijah. Remember Joseph? Joseph had a pretty bad rap, don't you think? I mean, being sold by his own family to Egypt, of all places. And even though he came up through the ranks and God had a purpose in his life and used him, if you remember back when he preached through Genesis, and I'd have to look it up again, I forget, I have forgotten, but I remember the point being made that even the names that he named his two sons revealed that it was this was not what he wanted for his life to be in Egypt. He didn't want it. There's people that oh, he was the second under Pharaoh. He has all this power. Hey, the guy just wanted to be home with his with his dad and his brothers. Yeah. But watch Joseph's response when his brothers came to him. He said, don't worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good to save many, much people alive. That was a man who had victory over discouragement. And so what happens here, God's going to speak. Elijah says that again, I'm all alone. Here's the fear. Here's the I'm doing wrong. I, I, there's, I, I'm isolated. I'm the only one. Nobody has experienced what I'm experiencing. Nobody has had the hurt that I've had. Uh, the hurt that I've had. Nobody's experienced the abuse that I've experienced. Nobody, no, nobody has had the rejection that I have had. I mean, come on. We do this. We isolate ourselves when problems come in, and we think it's just me. It's just me. It's just me. It's just me. And God says, No, it's not just you. He tells Elijah about service. No, seven thousand have not bowed their knee to Baal. Elijah, you're not alone. No, he wasn't. I don't think God was doing that just to be mean. I think he was doing that as an encouragement. Right? Yeah. There's no temptation taking you such as common to man. Right? But that God will make a way of escape through that. You are not alone in that. You don't allow that to bring discouragement in and uh, bring have the fear come. So God gives the answer to Elijah for discouragement. So here it is. This is Satan's tactic. He discourages us. And our weapon is the Word of God. Our instructor is the Holy Spirit of God. And when we find ourselves in a place of discouragement, watch this. The Holy Spirit will bring us to the Word of God. Yeah. Be content with such things as you had, have had. Oh, that's discouraging. Be content with such things as you have. For it is written, but I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Covetousness is content, connected to, to, to trust right there. In those verses. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. 7,000 haven't bowed their knee unto Baal. Right? The word of God will come. Discouragement's a real thing, friend. It's a real thing. It's, it's a, it's, it, it, it is a powerful thing in the life. But we have got to fight it just as the same way that we fight every other temptation that Satan brings to us. Can I remind you today we're more than conquerors through Him? Yeah, we are more than conquerors. Can I tell you, when you close your eyes in death one of these days, this life will be over forever and will be forever in the presence of our God? Can I tell you that there's coming a day when we'll neither, there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more sighing and no more pain and no more, and, and, and no more bills and no more... I mean, come on, it's all going away someday. We're just enduring for a little while, but we don't have to just endure. We can endure in victory for just a little while because it's going to be over soon. And we know, watch this, no matter what happens in this life, it has no, it has no, it has zero bearing on our relationship with God. To the effect that God would ever leave us. 
Nothing. Yeah. Paul said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor anything, right? He goes on to say, Can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That'll cheer you up. <laughs> you know what we have to come out of the, the, our discouragements to realize also? As Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God allows them in our life for a purpose. God allows Satan to do what he does. What was God's remedy for Elijah? I don't have time for it today. But essentially it was this. Go back to work. <laughs> Watch. God's remedy for, for the discouragement was do what I've already told you to do. Just go back and do it. Yeah. I love it. Go back to work. I'll take care of Jezebel. He did. He did. <laughs> and uh, you just go back. And Elijah got up and he went back and went, went and anointed one of the kings. that would Watch, a king that was actually, if you watch it, was taking the place of Ahab. That was an encouragement. You know what Elijah knew? Oh, God's getting ready to take care of Ahab because I'm going to go anoint. God wants me to go to anoint somebody else king. I love it. I'm telling you, he said, just go back. Get to work and, uh, and just move forward. Amen. What was Elijah depending on when he got up and walked, went back into the, into the work? He was depending on the Word of God. It's just what God, God told him what to do. What is that? Well, that's the Word of God. Yeah. Yeah, it's an encouragement. May God help us today. If you're in a place of discouragement, if you're not now, it'll come. Satan attacks. Remember, don't forget, remember, remember, it is a tactic of Satan and we have the sword of the spirit, and we have we have our uh, the 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 word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God as our teacher and our guide, and we can we can have victory in the times of discouragement. May God help you to have that, Father. Thank you today. Would you encourage us today and help us in this to be that that we would not be ignorant of Satan's devices? Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. Oh boy, we're late.